Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. At least this week I did the proper intro music. Last week I, I, I messed up and I did the old intro music. I, I didn't even realize it when I listened to it until I listened to it as a podcast. Of course, you always have to quality control your stuff in life, right? You have to quality control whatever you do. And uh, I do listen to uh, the shows prior to me sending it out to be a podcast. And I didn't, as my Uncle Chris used to say, catch wise. And then when I listened to it as a uh, as a podcast, it was actually posted on Wednesday. Then I said, oh my God, I got the wrong intro music. I wanted to use Tex Rubinowitz and I did the old intro music. And probably, honestly, probably most of you didn't realize that either. But I'm sure some of you did. So that is that. I messed up once more, right? So we, uh, that is not uncommon for this guy over on Cat Swamp Road to mess up. But God will, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> my, my, I'm more congested today than usual. The weather here has, well, the past, I would say, I don't want to say a week, maybe five days or six days, they all blend into one. We've had beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous weather here, and I got a lot of work done outside on the farm and on the equipment. Did I get it all done? No, I don't think you ever get it all done. I, you know, it's like when you go to a dyno with an engine. No matter how much mathematics you do, no matter how careful you are, what I mean, careful how how uh, particular you are putting it together. Is that with very rare exception, do you ever come by this chair is terrible? Come away pleasantly surprised. Wow, I thought it was going to make a thousand fifty two and it made a thousand eighty, right? So it's usually you thought it was you thought it was going to make a thousand fifty two, and you hoped it made a thousand eighty. That there was some error in your mathematics, but usually there's error in your mathematics. It's you, not the engine. And it ends up making a thousand fifty-one or a thousand fifty-three. So you're right there where you're supposed to be, but it's not what you had secretly hoped for. So I had secretly hoped for getting almost okay, everything done. All right, everything done because I think today would be when this show drops would be November first. I'm not going to turn around and look at the calendar again <clears throat> as I did last week, but. I had a goal for myself to get everything done by outside and with the machinery and with the farm by November 1st. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today in a roundabout way. Uh, But not about what I didn't get accomplished. But as I started to say, the weather here was gorgeous. Oh my God. It was, uh, let's say, high 70s to low 80s. I mean, that didn't come about till late morning to early afternoon, probably about 50 degrees, 52 degrees in the morning, and sunny, no humidity. Uh, it was gorgeous. And my, you know, people say, oh, it's Indian summer. Well, it's not Indian summer, because the definition that I was always told of Indian summer was that you had to have a killing frost first, and then an extreme warm-up to be almost summer-like weather. We've had no frost here whatsoever at all, and... Uh, so nothing, not even an inkling, but this week was supposed to get eh, near frost, I guess around 34 degrees. But our farm is at 1,052 feet. So the, at this time of year, we stay warmer. We don't get the frost as early. Uh, 
as the low-lying regions do and that's because heat rises right uh, but then in the spring we stay colder longer so it's uh and that's really in the spring is when you want it to warm up right so you can put your crop in the ground so uh i guess in so many ways i'm farming in the wrong spot <laughs> but that is life but this is the farm that the good lord gave me and i will honor that and love it and respect it and work around it not work around what i had hoped and uh you know when you farm large acreage you usually have a, a great deal of variability when you farm small acreage you're stuck with what you got <laughs> good bad or indifferent but that is disrespectful for me to say stuck because that is not looking the gift of having a farm uh properly i'm not looking at it with thankful with a thankful heart and thankful eyes and uh and a thankful conscience because i'm picking up on what i don't have right and so many times in life we do that we look at what we don't have instead of what we have and we all fall prey to that that is human nature and well the weather turned much colder again today just like it did last week uh <clears throat> i think when i was recording because that warm-up happened afterwards and it's uh 46 degrees and raining and i have a cadre of family members four-legged family members with tails that purr in with me they're sleeping right now but faith wanted to go out i said to it's raining faith so i would not be surprised if i have to stop because she's going to be screaming bloody murder to come in so uh but that is i don't have everybody in here but i do have a, a number of family members let me see what else i wanted to tell you so uh oh <clears throat> what i'm gonna what well eventually what i'm gonna talk about today is um a an adjustment or and i'll say let's say I'll, I'll put it this way an adjustment that, that, that gets lost inside a carburetor it's really going to be a little bit more than that but as you all know that i had a uh in my younger days i had a very uh blessed career with carburetors and fuel systems and then transitioned into fuel injection but uh really love carburetors and uh love to set up carburetors and dial in carburetors and what have you is a wonderful sense of accomplishment with me i always loved the tuning because and, and when in the in the vernacular of the performance industry or even the oe auto industry the oe industry not the, the not the repair industry is that when you say tuning that you are bringing everything together so the way i used to like to teach it was you can you're the conductor of the orchestra you're not playing any of the instruments but you are directing them to make beautiful music instead of noise and uh <clears throat> so so when you are a tuner uh specifically today on the powertrain level you're bringing in because the powertrain encompasses the engine and the transmission is that you're bringing it all together as i've said many times on this show before that there's a term in engineering called degrees of freedom degrees like temperature and in the layperson sense that is and i'm saying layperson respectfully that is the adjustability <clears throat> what you could change what you can tune what, well not to what you could adjust because i'm not going to use those same word twice in a sentence which is incorrect but uh that's what you get with a guy from cat swamp road so i always love tuning because you're bringing it all together and a good tuner 
doesn't look at things in the, in one dimension. They look at things collectively. So in other words, you're setting up, oh, let's say with carburetor, you're setting up a carburetor. Well, you got to look at the, the, the stall speed of the torque converter. You have to look at where the transmission shifts. Then you're bringing in the ignition timing, the more timing, less timing, the rate of advance. All right, so this whole, all of that comes together. And you can't look at it in one dimension because people look at it in one dimension. Okay, here's where I set the idle. All right, or I set this, or I set that. Or even like on fuel injection, is that it's the same thing. You don't have those at our level. You don't have the degrees of freedom, the adjustability, but the person who did the calibration does. All right, so a fuel injection system, unlike a carburetor where you could turn screws and change jets and change the float level and change air bleeds and what have you, that uh, that's all there. Granted, they're not jets or air bleeds or float levels, but they're all there. And but they are locked inside that ECU with a software. We're not going to worry about that today. <clears throat> We're going to worry about carburetors, right? Keep it carbureted. But first, I uh, just want to say to you or ask you to please, please reach out and go over to Duck Design. That's www.duckduck-design.com. And if you caught last week's show, you know that he's a uh, we're friends that that never met, and he is a wonderful, wonderful artist, and he does um, cartoon. Well, he could do anything you want, not just cartoon type of of uh, drawings. And if you didn't listen to last week's show, just go to duckdesign.com and you will see what he does. It's cartoon, cartooned out vehicles, farm equipment, what have you. But, you know, if you truly are a hot rodder or a hot rod farmer, there's, you know, I really, I personally think, I mean, this is my opinion for what it's worth, is that there's, no, few things of greater value as far as your machinery is concerned and your passion for your machinery than having a not a photograph because a photograph uh is definitely an excellent photograph is, is definitely beautiful right especially if a professional photographer takes it but if you have an illustration done of your piece of farm equipment or that you really are passionate about, or your antique tractor, or your hot rod, or your drag race car, or your circle truck, whatever it may be, your motorcycle, it's irrelevant, right? That brings it to a higher level. And that really becomes more like a family heirloom. And that's what duck design is about. Creating family heirlooms, creating memories, creating something different. You know, today, so many people, <clears throat> you know, take a, actually take a very beautiful picture with their with their cell phone which is unbelievable some of these cell phones take a better picture than the camera professional camera did years ago but you know when you when you have an illustration done when you have a drawing done and you have something done like that it really 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 just takes it to the next level and if you get it framed and you know it's a print so you could have as many made as you want if you get it framed it it, it has the it has the potential of being a family heirloom and um, and even if it doesn't become a fairly family heirloom right now, you will look at it wistfully as the years go by and time goes by, and you say to yourself, "Well, 
you know, I really loved that that old Gleaner combine, where I really loved that that John Deere tractor or that Ford tractor that I that Grandma and Grandpa bought, and then uh, I inherited it or I bought it from them. So, hey, without much more saying about it, go over to Duck Design. I'm going to ask you to please do that. Check it out. He's got so much there. What I would basically do if I were you, and I'm not trying to spend your money by no means but go to duck design send them an email send them an email and just tell them look are you thinking about doing something because what happens is that he's got so much content on his website that if you look in the wrong place you are probably going to get the impression i don't want that all right but he will be able to steer you in the right place it's an email send him an email introduce yourself no, he's not going to hammer you looking to get your money, right? And then uh, say to him, geez, I'm thinking about having a, an illustration done. I'm thinking about having something done. And you could take that, put that on the door of your seminar, whatever. I mean, it's, it's it's unlimited. So listen, check him out, duckdesign.com, D-U-C-K hyphen design.com. If I don't mess this up. Yes, and as his tagline says, and I'm going to read it, so I'm going to start up right. It says, Drive with Distinction, Farm with Passion. So as I said last week, I'm going to be telling you about Duck. We're coming into the Christmas season, and he is just a great guy to have in your resource file, right, in your toolbox, even if you, you know don't use him right now or ever use him. But it's a great, you may want a gift for somebody else, not for yourself you may have somebody that you want to get a gift for so check it out all righty now excuse me i'm going to get my uh my florida mexico brazil orange juice i really wish that they would tell me how much of it is florida but whatever you know me i'm mr buy american support america god bless america right and and we have listeners and i always say we because it's not me it's all of you guys around the world <clears throat> over 100 countries i haven't checked it since we broke that mark it since we went over 100 <clears throat> excuse me i haven't checked it so who knows what it is probably down to 80 now right there bailing out like the titanic but um but anyway yeah you should love your country right i'm american i love america that doesn't mean that that I, I think poorly of another country by no means just like i love my wife you should love your wife i you should love your kids i don't have any kids i should love my cats you shouldn't love you know you should love your animals so it's not meant anything it's we are pitting one nation after another but the fact of the matter is is that you know that i do love my america and i'm un ashamed of it unabashedly i will support it and you should support your country too and uh so anyway i'm drinking my juice here but uh that's how that all came about excuse me but i gotta come clean with you guys as much as i had beautiful weather this week and as much as i didn't get done what i wanted to get done but what I did get done, I got done to the way I wanted it to happen. So that is good, right? So when you say, when you when you do something, you say, well, I really, you know, I'm really proud of the way this turned out or I got this done to the level, but you never get it all done, all right? So, it's so uh, but anyway, but what I'm coming clean about is that I'm disappointed in myself. 
It don't take much for me to do that, but I'm disappointed in myself that, and now, now Bruce, my listener Bruce from up in New England, all right, I know he's a big steel fan, and I had a, or I have a steel chainsaw, it's a little MS-170, and then I never particularly liked it, so, well, it was fine, I mean, it's a cheap saw, it's basically a homeowner's, a subdivision saw, but it's perfect for me, because I, I'm not felling trees with the stuff that's on the ground. We don't have any sequoia trees here. And even if it's a bigger tree, I could cut it up. But I, you know, so it's it's great for me. It's a great brush cutting saw. It's a, it's, it's a great multi-flora rose cutting saw. So it's, it's, it's perfect for what I need. Would I like a bigger saw? Yes. But can I rationalize spending $500, $800 for a bigger saw that I may be going to use once a year, if even that? All right, no. You know, it's like a... So it's like a it's like a, a, a grain drill, right? I'd love to have a grain drill and put my cover crop in, but what am I going to use it? Four or five hours, three hours a year? It doesn't pay. And then you got to maintain it. So anyway, because... So what happened was I have my little MS-170, and <clears throat> I never really... The saw I had before that was a Poolane Pro 260, and I loved that saw. Well, I loved it for a number of reasons. First of all, my wife bought it for me for a Christmas, that Christmas birthday present many years ago, probably over 20 years ago. I was a young man and didn't have any gray hair, and that's why she got it for me, probably. So now she gave me nothing. But anyway, so <laughs> I don't mean that. But um, we really stopped exchanging gifts many years ago because, thank God, we have whatever we want, whatever we need, go out and buy it. There's nothing that I want, and... Uh, and um, I don't know if this, and and so uh, so we don't we don't exchange birthday gifts anymore. And you can't even get good birthday cards. So like you know, before there was love, there was love cards, right? Oh, and full of passion, right? And now it's like, oh, I know, you know, you get these birthday cards. They have a pre picture on them. They want six or seven dollars from it, all from China, and. Uh, and it, you know, you go, and with rare exception, you could find a nice one. Rare exception, but usually you get this nice, you know, a nice cover on it, whether it's an illustration or what have you. And then you open up, says, says, "Oh, I know we fight all the time, and we sometimes hate each other, but have, I love you." <laughs> I mean, who the heck wants that? So we stopped doing that. We stopped Christmas presents a number of years ago, about twenty years ago. We what we would spend on Christmas presents, we give to charity, and I'm not bragging about that but I'm not going to be spending a lot of money on junk that neither one of us need that comes from China. So anyway, if we need something, we buy it. We're at the stage where I don't want many possessions. I get too many possessions as it is. And uh, so <clears throat> so anyway, but my old Poolan Pro 260, I love that saw. Uh, and it was, actually, we bought it, my wife, well, I bought it, uh, she told me, go buy what you want, and uh, I got an Agway, believe it or not, and it was a great saw, wonderful, wonderful saw, I messed that saw up, I used it for about 10 or 12 years, and I messed that saw up, and uh, by putting the wrong, at the time, I really wasn't internet savvy, not that I am now whatsoever, <laughs> But I had dial-up, and I don't even think I had internet back then. Because all the magazine stories he did was, uh, we used to send them through the mail. They were on a, what they used to call a floppy disk, a three-and-a-half-inch disk. 
with a with a mic well it was a word processing microsoft word program anyway <clears throat> so everything was mailed that's right so i didn't even have internet the internet existed i didn't have it and then <clears throat> i needed fuel line for it the fuel line cracked and then what happened was that i didn't know of these different resources and there was no pool land dealer so i went to track the supply and i bought fuel line for it and it was the wrong size fuel line so the the id the in the inside diameter was correct to go onto the carburetor but the od was wrong so i had to end up drilling out the fuel tank to get it to the drilling out the case and then uh it, it just ended up being a nightmare and didn't work well and didn't fit properly you know today i would go buy pool land fuel line but back then i mean that's that is definitely a plus of the internet you could find things that you really you, i mean you really what are you going to do i would go to hackettstown and you'd go to the uh, john deere dealer he says we sell steel and you go to the other dealer we sell we sell the husqvarna and you go over here and then uh <clears throat> so you end up getting this generic stuff and uh so i messed that sore up i did that sort of injustice and i think it's really in my my parents house in the farmhouse yet if it is if i didn't give it away if it is i should really in my list of 10 million things that i should do i should really go back out and now that i know there's more resources and and, and restore it because it was a beautiful saw it was a 20 inch bar and uh it had probably like a some kind i don't remember it had a some kind of fast cut chain on it and had plenty of torque and uh, one of the greatest things about that saw was that metaphorically if you looked at the rope it would start if you looked at i mean it i don't think you pulled that thing more than two or three times and there was no fuel stabilizer or anything in there so whatever it would it would always start the friend of mine had a big steel and you think that I'm against steel. I'm not like at all steel equipment now. But anyway, a big steel. He had an 044 and an 066. I think the 66 must have been a bigger one. And it thing used to be a bad start with that that starting procedure and that comp compression release and the, it flooded easy and what have you. <clears throat> so, excuse me. And I'd have my pool landing. Get out of the case. So what happened? So when when the pool in when I messed up the pool in, because you gotta own what you mess up, right? In life, even if it's done unintentionally, even if well, sadly, if it is done intentionally, but you gotta own it, you know. And that's a big thing, in my personal opinion, with a lot of people today. They don't own it. Oh, it's the other guy's fault. It's his fault. It's Trump's fault. It's that fault. Oh, it's my wife's fault. Oh, the guy down the road's fault. Quite. I mean, sometimes it is the guy down the road's fault, but you got to own, if it's yours, you got to own it in life. And that's the character of a man, uh, I believe. So I messed that saw up. So at, by that particular point, 10 or 12 years later, after I needed to buy a saw, maybe even more, 17 years later, because I think I got that around 2000. So I bought the other, the, the steel in 2017. So it was an 18-year-old saw. And, uh, the one we had our back in 1975 i was i told you a story before 1975 we bought a i was a kid a mccullough pro mac 1010a i don't know what the a stood for because it didn't have an automatic oil I, you had to push the button to uh to, it had a button there you had to keep pushing it when you cut it to, to, to feed oil and but supposedly that was the first and i don't even know i was a little kid i don't know how big the bar was but that was the first chainsaw i operated and um 
It was the, supposedly, for best of my recollection, it was the first chainsaw with a chain break on it. And this thing sounded like a pro stalker when you started. It sounded like you went to drag strip with a pro stalker, all right? A 17-to-1 pro stock motor with a lot of overlap in the game. That thing was a beast. It weighed a ton and a half. Thank God I was young. We cleared a lot of brush and, and, and opened up our farm to, to for fields that were grown over. And I got a good experience with using that chainsaw. And somehow, my father always seemed to be the uh, the uh, uh, foreman. <laughs> so I was always doing everything, and he was just standing there, you know, to cut, hey, cut it lower, Butchie, cut it lower, cut it lower, pull it. And so we used to pull trees out with the... Um, I was driving a tractor, Oliver Row Crop 70 tricycle, right? And uh, pull trees out. We were clearing more land to farm. The f- anyway, so so what happened is that, but that saw, I mean, what the hell I know, I was like a 13-year-old kid. I used to run that saw into the dirt, hit rocks with it, hit a metal fence post with it. I don't think we sharpened that chain for 12 years. And that thing would go, go right through. These new ones today, I've said this before on the show, you cut a dandelion, whether you look at it wrong, and the thing goes dull. But anyway, so <clears throat> when the time came <clears throat> to replace the pool in, I bought the steel MS-170. And uh, I thought it was a perfect saw for me because it was... Um, it wasn't too big. Things had changed here. I got older, and it was perfect for what I wanted to cut shrubs, cut limbs that fell down. I wasn't small trees, fell small trees, and uh, it was inexpensive. That came into the price also. I think I paid $179 for it. I don't know how they make a saw so cheaply. Well, I guess you do after you own it. But, uh, and, uh, it was, but I never liked the saw. I never truly liked it. I forced myself to love it. Or I should I say, forced myself to like it, but I had, uh, it never, I, when I first, I, I got it right from the, from the steel dealer, and then I went to, uh, the, the chain fell off the first five minutes, the guy had it too loose. And I know how I like to run my chain on the bar from my other saws, and ah, 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 I said, you got to run these loose, ah, 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 ah. so he set up the chain, I brought it home, I think, I don't think I. I literally, I think it had five minutes, and it, and the chain fell off on it, and then, for some reason, I don't know what the hell happened to the chain. I couldn't get the chain, that came on the saw, back into the into the bar, into the guide track. I think they have a, a different name for it than guide track. But anyway, so, I said, well, what the heck is going on here? So what happened was that I bought three new chains when I bought the saw. So I said, all right, well, so what the, what the, what the, I called the dealer up, and he says, oh, when the chain falls off of those micro mini rollers, those Pico micro mini rollers, is they get boogered up and, and it's hard. You can't get them back in. What the heck what is that? I said, every time you, he said, this is steel. Every time you throw a chain, you have to buy a new one. So anyway, so I don't know whether that's true or not. But what happened was that, I took one of the new chains out of the box and said, oh, let me, I got to get something done here. This was back back in 2017, so six years ago. And the new chain, I can't get it in there. I can't. Well, what happened was that that chain, that bar was an 043 bar, and he gave me an 050 chains, three 050 chains. 
So anyway, so once we got through that, we got the chains in there. And I don't know what the heck he was talking about because I did subsequently throw the chain many times and the chain was not ruined. I could put it back in the bar. So who knows? Maybe I was just, you know, fighting myself. Sometimes you fight stuff when you work on it. And you know, and you look like an idiot because you say, "I can't even get this oil filter on." What kind of mechanic am I? Anyway, so <clears throat> what happened was that. But what I didn't like about that saw was that it never started that easily. It it just it ran okay. All right, it never ran what I thought it should run, and it had a non-adjustable carburetor. And then uh, I always used the steel. Uh, you did whatever they said, premium gas, and the steel two-stroke oil with the preservative in it or whatever. And then uh, about the thing last year or so, or two years ago, and I don't use it much. So I'm, I mean, so that comes into the equation. And I need had a tree fall down at the edge of the field, and I need it wasn't too big. Need to cut it up so like a plant corn. All right, I was going to plant corn that day, and the soil wouldn't start. Wouldn't start, wouldn't start, wouldn't start. And like I say, it was never a good starting saw. And I had the procedure right. You set the choke, you pull it to the first pop, the first the first pop, and then you put it to the next setting, and then she's supposed to go off after three or four pulls. And it was always, like I say, it, I don't think, I just think it was, well, I'm not think, I know it was the carburetor. But anyway, so... I remember here it is. I said, I don't want to plant around this tree. And then I said a prayer. Some of you may remember this. And I'm sure Bruce does. I said a prayer. And by God's grace, the saw started. I'm serious. I mean, I said, I'm jerking around, pulling it for two hours, taking the car, taking the air cleaner off, cleaning, whatever. Everything but taking the carburetor, cleaning the spark plug. The spark plug is dry, and I get in the gas. So at this, the, I said a prayer, gave it to the Lord, and the thing started, and I was able to cut that. It was a big limb. It wasn't a tree. But cut that limb, get it to the side, and then jump on the tractor and plant my corn. So I hate when you got to fix something to do something, right? So, But that's life on the farm. So what happened was that the saw the saw <clears throat> the saw ran okay ever since that day, and there was you know whatever it had the problems it had from new as far as the, you know I was always able to get in. Subsequently, I used it many times, and and I was starting to like it again. I was starting to like it a little bit, and then just this past summer this year I had to use it a number of times because I. If you remember, I had a big tree fall down, and I wasn't able to finish cutting up. And then, uh, and then, so anyway, so I, so the last time I used it was in August, because I had another limb fall down into the cornfield. I knew it was in August because it was just before we started the harvest. The fresh gas and fresh everything, and it ran. It started pretty easily back then, easily for it. <laughs> so, uh, and so now, fast forward to this to this past week. And I have things I got to cut up. So let me get the saw out. All right, I only ran it a couple of months ago. Right, it's only October, so it was August, two, three months ago. It has all fresh gas, fresh oil. Spark plug is clean. Everything is good. Take it out of the case. I had the carrying case for it. Then won't start, won't start, won't start. Keeps wetting the spark plug. So I jerked around that for a couple hours. So why am I disappointed in myself? Because what I did is I went and I bought another saw. So... Excuse me. I bought the uh, I bought the same thing, the steel MS one seventy, 
All right, you say, oh, you didn't like it. But well, what are you going to buy? I'm not going to go to Home Depot and buy a store. So I'm not going to buy a $500 store either for what I want to do. And I figured, well, I promised myself. You know, in life, they say, not only do you have to make promises to yourself, you have to have somebody that's going to hold you accountable. So I'm asking you, my audience, to hold me accountable because I hate taking the path of least resistance. I hate not fixing stuff. I, to me, it's a personal thing. Excuse me. <clears throat> you know, uh, well, you didn't fix it. You went and bought a new one, all right? All right, so well, I made a business decision here on the farm because I wasn't going to jerk around with this saw, and it was beautiful weather, and I needed to get some stuff cut up. I needed to get it out of the way. I needed to take the fence down on the on the, around the cornfield i needed to do a lot of things and to me it was a 179 dollar saw and the new one now is 199 dollars right so real big spender here 199 dollars for the new one and i could go to the steel dealer i could come home with a new saw uh go there leave there get there for eight o'clock in the morning by nine o'clock or nine fifteen be in the field working instead of jerking around and so oh, it's not hard to go through it's you know you got to get the part they didn't have the part they wanted to sell me a new carburetor for 45 dollars, which uh, which would have been fine but for 199 dollars to get a whole floor right with a new chain new bar new everything right so it's for 150 dollars more and i got full of gas and full of oil all i gotta do is go home and pull a rope and hopefully it starts and then go and get to work and do what i needed to get done while the weather was good so that was the business decision i made but what i want you to do is hold me accountable because i promised myself that i am gonna fix this saw that i'm gonna fix it i'm gonna go through it and i'm gonna fix that carburetor or i'm gonna do whatever needs to be done and then what i am going to do also i'm gonna take a compression test on it i'm gonna look i'm gonna do everything right on it i know it has spark uh, but i didn't use my spark tester because i didn't have my two cylinder spark uh small engine spark tester and i had one for hei ignition which is useless it'll never throw that out that gap so uh, i did the old spark plug against the muffler test and i had i saw an arc there but that does not mean anything because that doesn't mean that you have enough oats to, to to arc the spark plug on the compression but i feel i took the carburetor off which was pretty stuck on there and they took the carburetor off and i took it apart and those diaphragms i guess the one is a metering diagram frame the one is a fuel pump and it looked like over the seven years of gasoline with all right it took its toll on it and they were loose and expanded and what have you so that is what but i promised myself i'm going to fix this because for my own personal satisfaction even though i have another saw it's always good to have two right but i i i that's it you can't imagine how much it bothered me that i took the path of least resistance i'll go buy another one right i'll buy a hundred big shots 199 dollars because i like to fix stuff but but so not only are you going to hold me accountable for it but i'm going to hot rod this hot rod this this old this 2017 steel ms 170 a little bit 
Yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to modify it. I'm going to change the bar on it because it's got an 043 bar. And I'm going to go to an 050 bar, 16 inch. I'm going to go to a, ch a complete chisel chain. I looked it up. They have it. Uh, there's a modification you could do to the muffler uh, to give it some more RPM and some more power. And uh, there's also another modification that you could do to give it a, to make it a side uh, a side tension adjustment instead of a front tension, which is no big deal, but I think it's cool. All right, to tweak it a little bit, and then I may possibly, and this is all if the motor is good, and if the motor isn't good, if the cylinder wall is scored, then I'm going to get a piston for it or do whatever, I'm going to fix it. But I want to fix it, I want to hot rod it, and then I may end up changing the sprocket on it because I have a 3 8 pitch chain on it now. I may want to go to something more aggressive, make a little bit more power and more aggressive so I could use this for the more aggressive cuts than the new MS-170 with that with that Pico chain that, that, uh, that uh, what do they call it? Uh, what do they call it a Pico, low profile chain in a .043 bar. So that is what I'm going to do. So you guys, I'm going to keep you in the loop on this. It's not going to happen right away, but I have my $179 17-year-old hot rod. All right, so so coming from the car business or the tractor restoration business, you ain't going to get much cheaper than that, right? So I got my $179 hot rod. Probably end up putting $1,000 into it, but it's going to be a good good experience. I may, if I got to go inside the motor, I may port the cylinder head, all right? I never ported a two-stroke cylinder head before, so uh, but I want to hot rod this thing up. So if any of you guys have ideas of how to what i should do to hot rod this i'm not going to make it a racing saw but hot rod it give it some more power more aggressive cut and then i could use the two of them but and before here it is 38 minutes into the show i'm still talking about my chainsaw but uh i get the new ms 170 i guess it's like a rite of passage with these saws and uh you know the guy. You know the guy was really nice. It was a different dealer. I bought it at my John Deere dealer, and this time, and uh, it was a nice younger man. And uh, he gets it going, and he said he keeps st st stalling. So he says, oh. so uh, so he says, oh. so he's, uh, I said, well, this, I said these things are bulky when they call. Let it run for 30, 40 seconds, all right? See how it is. Oh no, no, the chain is too tight. The chain is too tight. I don't know what it is. With these guys i mean i know a friend of mine likes to run a very loose chain to get rpm i know that but when you're cutting like brush or anything that chain is too loose what i found out and you cut more towards the tip and this is my own maybe 100 percent wrong that chain starts to oscillate and it throws it off the track so i know how i like to have a chain i pull it down on the bottom pull down the top and just so the guide bar doesn't come out of it come doesn't fully come out of the of that the, the guide the tooth i call it the guide tooth i don't know what the proper name of it is uh doesn't come out of the track and uh just near the edges so it stays in there and then i could roll it very easily that so anyway so i take the, the new one home and uh so then he uh so he did that he gave it to me and uh brought it home started right this one i have to say so far i've only used it for two days or a day all right no big cuts trimming this cutting a branch here moving this out of the way cutting some brush with it all right so the thing basically is is that this one you look at 
the rope better than even my pool in, and then she starts. The the first steal was a nightmare to start. All right, no matter hot or cold, it was a nightmare. And uh, if you look at it, it starts the the motor, the engine runs beautifully on this. But I had like five. I think I was doing my third cut with it, and a chain fell off of it. <laughs> so I said, "Oh my God, this must be like a steel rite of passage that you throw the chain off the first five minutes, right?" And then, so I put the chain back on. I adjusted it the way I like it. I'm not saying that he was wrong. I adjusted the way I like it, and it's and I used it on and off. I mean, you're starting, stopping, you're cutting this, you're moving this. I mean, so you're not cutting firewood. You're running it all day long, and uh, it didn't throw the chain again. Cuts very nicely for what it is. Runs fantastic, beautiful. I mean, it could be you could let it sit for. An, it was a warm day. Let it sit for an hour. You don't have to choke it. The other one, you had to choke. It was a nightmare. All right, this thing, I see. She starts right up. I mean wasn't bulky wasn't anything so i'm really 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 happy with that aspect of it right but that leads me to what i said i was going to talk about 41 minutes ago the thing is that you know lots of times you will find that an adjustment a tuning adjustment will get what we say in the performance and drag race whatever engine building thing gets lost inside the carburetor and what that basically means is let's say you have a carburetor with mixtures well well other than this new small stuff right uh that you know you you turn the mixture screws and there's not much of a change you do so it's not much of a change so that's where if you you're building a race motor you tune an engine on a dyno you're doing an air bleed change because remember the air bleeds on the carburetor shape the fuel curve the jets are the ones that give the amount of fuel so but it's like the amplitude right the amount of fuel that you're giving it but the air bleed shape the curve so based upon the rpm and load that the uh and the velocity through the carburetor not the velocity of the crankshaft i think somebody's is that faith meowing no okay so anyway so they shape the fuel curve and then what you do is you'll find the carburetor you'll you'll if you do enough of this stuff you'll have a carburetor or that you, you're doing stuff and it makes no difference right it's like trying to no matter what you change you change this you change your float you change this you change that and nothing happens or, or, or let me put this way even if it happens it doesn't happen to the extent that it thought that it should <clears throat> and that's not just with drag race carburetors you'll find that with carburetors on every type of application i remember I bought my uh, Cub Cadet Weed Whacker. I had a Cub Cadet four-stroke, and I had that for a number of years. And then, you know, the bad thing with this stuff is that it's very hard to justify fixing it other than your passion and your own pride. All right, you're buying something for $100, $200, and if, you have a, if you're making a business decision, well, should I get my corner, or should I spend an hour, two hours, three hours fixing this thing, All right? So uh, anyway, so what happened was I had the I had the four-stroke cub cadet weed whacker which i which ran very well and i was about 15 years old and i was probably was giving me some carburetor problems who knows maybe it was a little bit it was uh maybe the cylinder ball was worn too who knows but anyway so then again you know you're trying to do think 10 million things so you go buy another weed whacker 
and uh, you put this one to the side. That's why you, I, that's why I'm. You guys have to hold me responsible, hold me accountable for fixing this chainsaw, this one seventy, and hot rotting it. You know, oh, I'm going to fix that thing because that's still good. Look how nice it looks. <laughs> and you put it in the shed, and you know, ten years later. Well, anyway, so what happened was that I bought another Cub Cadet because I liked that one, but I bought a two-stroke. I went back to two-stroke instead of four-stroke, and boy, was that a piece of junk out of the box. Oh my God! I mean, that thing it gave you—they called it a brush cutter. Gave you a blade. It had so little torque to it, you couldn't get the uh, blade spin. You had to feather the throttle. But I knew what was wrong with it. It was the carburetor was misadjusting. So what happened was that they had those. Uh, they weren't double D's. I think they were single D's. So you had to buy the special tool, but then you couldn't get the tool to adjust it. So anyway. So what happened was that I ended up getting the tool, and once I adjust, because that had an adjustable carburetor, but it had internal stops on the adjust, on the adjustment screws, so you can only turn them maybe. I don't even think it was 180 degrees. All right, maybe 120 degrees in rotation for the high speed and the low speed adjustment. And I got it, and I bought the tool. Had to send away for the tool, a big fiasco, right? And then uh, got the tool, and I got the carburetor adjusted better so it had torque now you could do it could, it could actually cut something but it hardly ran coming it ran it started easily it, it had a, it had zero power coming from cub cadet so i did that and i used that for a number of years and then a carburetor started to act up <clears throat> so but then again like my steel saw it never really ran the way it should have well, maybe because of the adjustment screws, I couldn't get enough adjustment out of it because the stops really didn't run the way it should. And then what happens, I put a kit in it, the carburetor, and the diaphragms were all, were all starting to expand out from the gas and what have you. So put it in there, and it got back, it got about 90% of the way it was after I adjusted the carburetor the best I could. Not So it still wasn't, it's it still was bulky, it, it wasn't right. So... I bought a carburetor for from I don't know some <clears throat> some place. I think it was like twenty two dollars for the carburetor. I paid twelve dollars for the kit. Some kind of Chinese carburetor. It had a Walbro. It had a Mexican Walbro on it. When I bought when I from the factory, which I still have that carburetor. I'm gonna fix that right. And then in the drawer and in the toolbox. But then I put this Chinese one on it, which had which was. Uh, uh, had regular mixture screws on. There was no limits on them. Of, and and uh, but you needed a special wrench for that one. You needed a Pac-Man wrench. So I should have just bought a kit of wrenches. But anyway, so for this, so what happened was that I said, well, I'm not gonna go buy a Pac-Man wrench. Let's see how it runs. And then I never had to touch it. Thing runs great and starts easily. Restarts easily. There's nothing wrong. It's a ton of power. So what that gets to me with what I'm what I'm trying to say or, or what I'm leading you up to is that lots of times <clears throat> you'll get a carburetor like on my steel 170 or I've had you know on years ago on cars and race motor just on production a slant six Chrysler and and it was rare with it was rare with production stuff usually aftermarket stuff was much more common but you'd have and i'll explain that you'll have a carburetor where the, the ju- just never no matter what you did to it or you say well i got everything set right i got the float set right i got the mixture set right i got the idle speed set right i got the choke set right 
and it runs okay, but it doesn't run as well as it should, and usually has some sort of sort of problem. And the thing is that, and that is when the the adjustment is getting lost inside the carburetor. Now, sometimes you have carburetors that are just wonderful. I had a friend of mine who used to do my machine work, and he had a friend of his, and they used to run a uh, uh, what they call it. Uh, well, not top fuel, what the uh, top drag stuff. <laughs> All right, in an HRA, and uh, I won't use anybody's name, but good engine builder and everything. Like I said, and you know, I had, I had a. A good deal of engine dyno experience, not as much as, as somebody who did it all day long, or like he did. But they had, and I looked up this name before I did this show today because I didn't want to have something. Knowing these two guys, my two friends, they're like drag racers, right? I, I stuff. I, I thought, oh, well, up until today, and I still may be wrong. I thought that it was a porn movie or a porn star. That they, but they gave this carburetor the name Sweaty Betty, and I believe it was a 1050 Dominator, Holly Dominator, uh, drag race Dominator, and Sweaty Betty. So I guess I looked it up today before I used that name because I guess knowing these guys, but but supposedly when I looked up Sweaty Betty, it's a women's high end women's exercise apparel company from England. So who the heck knows? Maybe there's a difference. Well, I looked. I went through like three or four pages of of my Google search because sometimes you see on you know the third page, oh that's what that is. That's a porno star. So anyway, so I for, for years I thought it was a porn star because they called. So why they called this carburetor Sweaty Betty? And these were good carburetor guys too. All right, <clears throat> Sweaty Betty was just a ringer. No matter no matter what engine you had on the dyno, I don't care. It's a twelve hundred horsepower single, you know, single carburetor, you know, uh, sheet metal intake manifold engine. Right, you put Sweaty Betty on there, that thing would pick up ten or twelve horsepower. I mean, no matter no matter how well you had the other carburetor tuned, no matter what you put Sweaty Betty on, you went to the track, all right? You put Sweaty, you took the other carburetor off that you had all dialed in, you put Sweaty Betty on, you adjust the mixture screws, all right? And the thing would pick up a tenth or pick up a, you know, a, a half a tenth in, in, in the 60 foot time. This Sweaty Betty did nothing wrong. Right? Get Sweaty, you know, get Sweaty Betty, get Sweaty Betty, right? And you know, we've seen this time and time and time again that you'd put her, put Sweaty Betty on there, and no matter what, the thing would pick up. And when you're building a 12, 1300 horsepower motor, for you to pick up 10 or 12 horsepower at that level is quite remarkable just with a carburetor swap. So you're taking one 1050 Dominator off that you went through and tuned. And you're taking, putting Sweaty Betty on there, and rup, she's right there, right on the money. Got 10 or 12 more horsepower. So so that's the that's the opposite, right? Sweaty Betty did nothing wrong. I mean, it did everything right. Uh, and and uh, it, was, it, was, it was unbelievable. I don't know whatever happened to Sweaty Betty. But, you know, <clears throat> on the same token, we've had, you know, I remember when I worked for the oscilloscope company that... That the um, we had uh, Alan S- uh, SEA spot engine analyzer. We had uh, 
We had one, and we used to just identify them by the last three or four digits of the serial number. That was 40 years ago. Well, it wasn't 40 years ago. I'm not that old. But anyway, it was a long time ago. And I had this one demo unit. It was a, it was one of the last ones made in the USA before they shipped them, started shipping to be made in Puerto Rico. And then what happened was is this thing did nothing wrong. <laughs> this thing was dead nuts on the money everything it was perfect i mean we get we get new ones and we added a box tape be doing this or they would uh whatever they wouldn't flag something had a had a low level of ai in it artificial intelligence and this thing did nothing wrong when i worked for bmw as a test engineer we had i think it was 3605 was this was the was the id that wasn't a serial number the engineering code number because that meant there was a th- it was a three series at the time in 96 all right uh and i don't know what the 05 was maybe the fifth one in the fleet so 3605 is like sweaty betty this thing would run circles around every other car we had in the engineering department i mean three series you know we had some of them that were real dogs oh my god they couldn't get out of their way and the, the germans didn't want to hear it. but 3605 i mean you know that, that 3605 i mean that i got a lot of roll race got into a lot of roll races with 3605 right that thing was uh, it was i don't know whether they did the engine blueprinted it or ported the head of i don't know what it did nothing wrong so it was 3605 and mice allen scope and then sweaty betty were all those they were just like the unbelievable right but let me give you something of tangible value here hopefully for spending your time listening to me is that what you need to understand and it's very very hard if you don't have history with it but if you have history with working with carburetors so i'm going to go back to my steel ms170 the first one right with that carburetor do i think that the diaphragms or anything were bad from the factory no all right i don't think that they were bad i don't think that they were wrong is that lots of times what you will find specifically in a cheap carburetor like that all right the fact of the matter is is that you will have an internal problem in the carburetor and that is why the change gets lost that is why that this carburetor never ran right from day one it ran okay at best it ran okay but never same thing with my cub cadet well the mixture screws were part of it but it was probably a little bit more than that inside and so what happens lots of times specifically with a small engine carburetor aftermarket carburetor is that when they care <clears throat> excuse me when they cast it there'll be core shift in there that you cannot see the passages could be machine wrong the air bleeds the fuel passages it could have casting flash in a passage that you cannot see but there's something inherently wrong with it and as a technical person i don't like to say well that thing is just no that carburetor is no good all right that's 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 sometimes it is that but the caveat that i want you to apply when you're doing things like this 
is that there's only so many degrees of freedom in that type of carburetor. If you had more of an automotive-style carburetor, even if it's on a on a, a lawn tractor with a float and with this and with that and, it and some sort of more intricate power enrichment circuit, then you could say, well, I, maybe the float level is too low. Maybe the float level is too high. Maybe this, maybe this, maybe that. But when you get into that type of small engine carburetor, right, is that if you go and you put a kit in it, and you're going and you're replacing the diaphragm and the the metering diaphragm and the gasket and i think the other other one is the fuel pump whatever they have in there so so in the little needle valve they have in there and you're replacing all that and that passages are visually clean spray with carburetor cleaner and this carburetor is not going to adjust then there's something wrong with it inside and the thing and that's why i gave up on my cub cadet weed whacker carburetor because I got it to work okay, as I said two minutes ago, and then it started to give me problems, which was more of a, de- a degradation, all right, from you know from overtime from the gasoline in there, you know the you know the ethanol in there, what have you, whatever, all right. Carburetors deteriorate, the gaskets, the diaphragms, they, they, they deteriorated years ago before we had ethanol, but so they deteriorated and that got to the point just like my steel carburetor where it's not running right it doesn't want to run all right but never ran great so what you need to basically do is that you need to be able to look at what you can what can fail on it so whether it's a quadrajet or whether it's a steel chainsaw carburetor so if you take it apart and you say okay well this diaphragm is kind of expanded lost some of its movement the little i call it the needle valve in there is sticking or does, has some corrosion on or what have you then the fact of the matter is at best case scenario it was it was probably not that way when it was brand new so if it never ran the way you expected it to run then the problem probably is greater and more inherent like core shift in the casting casting flash the the passage drilled incorrectly or drilled at the wrong angle or what have you all right so now so that's that and we're going to elaborate on it before we end the show today and then if the carburetor always ran great always ran great and then over time so i'm going to use i have one day's worth of experience with my new ms 170 saw all right so so let's say then my experience with that engine of starting easily running great is 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 that's that is fundamental that that's it's a good runner all right it's a good runner and now two or three or four or five years from now now it starts to act up a little bit or that eh, doesn't start as easily or it's more bulky you just then then you go in and look and say well you know you didn't have core shift in the past five years that's from manufacturing you didn't go in there and drill a passage out all right <clears throat> so the fact of the matter is then you know that that carburetor if you go and put a kit in it or it either has the diaphragms are being expanded and losing their their their, their resiliency and and if that's even the proper word or the passages are getting gummed up or the little needle valves in there are sticking or they're worn or what have you then you know that you could spend seven or eight dollars or ten dollars for a kit 
take a little bit of time, put it in that carburetor, and then she should come back to 99 or 100% of the way it was before. But, like I say, when I did my my weed whacker carburetor, my wall bro, on the thing was a wall bro, and uh, it was a wall bro, and I got it back to like almost the way it was when it was okay. Never run right, and then I got the new carburetor for it. Now maybe the new carburetor would have been no good, had its own problems. All right. So, but the caveat that you want to look at, and you say, well, if this thing always ran well, and now over time it's kind of deteriorated to cause the problem, then that is a wear part failure, a diaphragm, a, a dirty passage, a gummed up passage. That's not really. A, that's not a failure, because it's like saying, well, you know, you had the. Uh, <clears throat> this car always had good brakes i wore the brake pads out and it was and i put new brake pads on and now i have good brakes again right so that is that if you go through a carburetor and that change gets lost inside of it all right and it never wants it never does what it's supposed to do or has some sort of uh some sort of uh malady or something that just doesn't do right and you can't find anything wrong with it right then you know that that problem is internal in the carburetor someplace in that carburetor on a small engine carburetor probably the casting but you know years ago what had happened was that holly carburetors which is the mainstay of of racing of american racing all right uh holly carburetors uh had a sterling reputation and then holly got changed hands a number of times was still holly carburetor wasn't but it wasn't holly carburetors anymore right it was holly by name but it's some sort of uh whatever um, that investment group order put or what have you and what they started to do was that they went and took all the metering blocks because a holly carburetor is a module for the most part they had some three-piece carburetors a modular carburetor so they would start to cast the metering blocks in China. And the carburetors were coming out of the factory. The factory was, they were putting them together in the Kentucky. And, <clears throat> and they were a nightmare. They would be lean. They would be rich. They would just, you couldn't tune them, what have you. And then what had happened was a demon carburetor, which I wrote my first book for, was a, was a uh, uh, they eventually ended up getting sued because their parts were uh, interchangeable with Holly, but but their their claim to fame was that they were making them, and they were making it down in Dahlonega, Georgia. Uh, Well, they were making all their parts in the United States, and uh, it was a billet metering block. It wasn't a cast metering block. And uh, so they would would make it out of a billet, billet aluminum metering block, and they would do all the machining there in Georgia. They had like 14 or 15 Mazaks uh, CNC uh, mills there, and uh, they were they were dead nuts on. They were perfect. So the hot setup was the, just like I want to change my my bar on my saw, right, and put a 050 bar instead of an 043 bar and get a moosier chain on it, right. So the hot setup was everybody was buying demon metering blocks and putting because they were right direct bolt on, and then the, now that all of a sudden the carburetor was wonderfully tunable and did what it was supposed to do because it was all core shift and casting flash and everything inside the Chinese holly metering blocks and a matter of fact a friend of mine 
well, an acquaintance of mine we haven't spoken to for many, many years. So I don't, I mean, for no particular reason, our lives took a different direction. And uh, he was a development engineer for Chrysler. Uh, Pat Bear, great guy. And uh, and he got involved through Chrysler when he, uh, with their NASCAR project when Chrysler went back into NASCAR. And then, you know, I met him at the PR, you know, we went, got together at the PRI show for a couple of days and we went to dinner a couple of times. And, you know, he was telling me that, you know, that, that they were, that he was switching to the, the demon metering block for the Holly Carbers because NASCAR said he had to run a Holly Carburetor because the, the metering blocks were such junk. So, so keep in mind, so now you, you could go buy a new carburetor all right, new carburetor for your weed whack, your chainsaw, your small engine, and it have casting fishing, you have core shift. But the thing basically is that, and I'm going to make sense of this before we close, is that if it always ran well, and the, and the, and now came with a problem, then it is either it is a fixable problem. If in, if it at best it ran okay, and then over time deteriorated. All right, and got worse, like my steel 170 chainsaw, then that's probably nine chances out of 10 a carburetor that was manufactured sloppily, casting flash, drilled wrong, <clears throat> core shift in it, what have you. And it probably is more prudent for you to buy a new carburetor for that piece of equipment if you don't want to get rid of it. All right, instead of wasting your time putting going through a carburetor that never ever ran right because on those little carburetors there's not much of it there's no real adjustments there so so you there's really nothing much you could do so that's the qualifier because we have to you have to you, you know there's a difference between a hobby and running a farm right if it's a hobby farm so if you got to do something you say i got to get going like i need to get these trees cut these limbs out of the field i couldn't jerk around all right with the carburetor that day because i know that carburetor was never any good anyway at best it was okay marginal all right it wasn't a, a saw that steel would put say oh look at this as a, as a hallmark now when you get back years ago but they don't make any more carbureted engines right that when you back years ago when you bought a car or a pickup truck is that those carburetors for the most part the manufacturing of them of the components that the the castings the millings whatever they had to do with all right were usually phenomenal or excellent with rare exception would you find an oe carburetor on an old gm car rochester a carter or a on, on a chrysler or a motorcraft on a ford or what have you that it wasn't impossible because they built millions of them but usually if you had a problem with those or they didn't run right just like i used to make a ton of money years ago setting up electronic quadrajets there was nothing wrong with the castings they weren't adjusted right from the factory and they weren't adjusted to that particular engine right they were adjusted so i would go through them set up the floats set up the air bleed they had adjustable idle air bleed set up the tps set up the mixture screws set everything up on it right and then they would run beautiful i mean beautifully beautifully all right that sort of thing is i used to love doing those carburetors and the thing is that you could go through that carburetor because it was manufactured properly it's that the degrees of freedom the adjustability was what was messed up on that right so and the thing is that so if you happen 
to buy, have a steel chainsaw, you have a pool and you know, whatever you may be. You may have a backup generator, right? Just like on my two, my, my two, uh, whatever you call it, uh, portable generators, my Generac and my Briggs, they both run great. I, I spoke about it, you know, last week, or the, I don't know if it was on a radio show or on a podcast, I think it was on a podcast. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> the, the Briggs is, is much more refined than the Generac, but the Generac runs great. So down the road, so what I know is those two carburetors, I mean, you look at it, boom, you look at the starter button, they both start and they don't, nothing, nothing, not bulky whatsoever, could put a load right on them. Those two carburetors I know are excellent inside, that there's no casting flash, that they're not drilled wrong, all right, there's no, there, there's no core shift. So if those start to act up five or six years from now, then I'm going to take those carburetors apart. I'm going to buy a kit from them. I'm going to make a love to them inside. I'm going to clean them and put it back together. And I have a 100% expectation that they will be just as good as they are today. But if so, if something like that happens, so if you have an old chainsaw and you run it over with the tractor and say, man, this carburetor always was great. This thing was sweaty Betty, right? Then before you junk that chainsaw, take that carburetor off and then drain the gas out and put it in a nice Ziploc bag and put it in the toolbox or in the shed, in the shed someplace because you know that thing is fine. That's the sweaty Betty of your chainsaw, all right? That's a 3605 three series test car that's my oscilloscope very very important so hopefully you glean something because lots of times people get frustrated all right and so the the caveat being uh is that if it always ran good fix it put a kit in it go from there and then do and it'll run good again all right if it never ran ran well always had some sort of things with it and it was awkward right then it's a small engine throw it out and buy yourself a new carburetor and hopefully that one is that one is better now you know you could go in there with if you have pin gauges you could measure the bores but you know for a 20 dollar carburetor like i said that goes from a hobby i mean is it is it a repair to get your farm going or is it a hobby so now this chainsaw a $179 one, they said it's going to be my $179 hot rod. So if I mess it up, I mess it up, right? So, but the first thing I got to do is get it to run. And then I could hot rod it, and I'll have a very, very cheap hot rod, which will make me happy and make my wife even happier. So that basically is, so if you want to share with me your thoughts on this, I would greatly welcome it. And I want to know, you know, you could have a sweaty Betty. It doesn't have to be a carburetor, all right? But, uh but you could have whatever i mean whatever it may be maybe it's a, a, a car you had maybe a truck a farm tractor you had all right and then it's your version of sweaty betty but don't fool yourself because the thing basically is, is that if it never ran right then you could change diaphragms all you want you could do all that you could blame everything you want under the sun but if it's machine wrong and you look on the internet they're selling these carburetors these chinese carburetors for 13 dollars i mean that's ridiculous all right, I mean, how good could it be for $13? Well, if you happen to get a good one, like I got a good one for my my uh, uh, weed whacker, right, my cupcake weed whacker, I think it was $26, not $13. But, you know, if you happen to get a good one, excuse me, God bless you, but, you know, just keep that in mind because all too often, because you're not familiar with something, 
then you blame yourself and say, oh, I must have messed up this kid, or I must have did this, or I did that to it. And uh, and it is not. So don't blame yourself. And then I want you to all hold me accountable, all right, for getting this steel saw running over time. Give me some leeway. Give me some wiggle room here, please. I got other things going on. And then and then on my journey to hot-rotting it, and probably and hopefully not blowing it up right because when you hot rod something you got to risk blowing it up because otherwise like ken sperry who's a de- big time development engineer for gm all right big time all right like he said to me ray if you don't have holes in the sheetrock of your dino cell you're not trying hard enough to make horsepower so if you don't blow stuff up you're not trying hard enough to make any power so listen thank you so much have a blessed day and I will, God willing, catch you next week. And, and just remember, sweaty Betty.